Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, unsubscribing from perfectionism. Perfectionism is defined as the refusal to accept any standard short of perfection. According to the gold standard, Wikipedia, perfectionism in psychology is a broad personality trait characterized by a person's concern with striving for flawlessness and perfection and is accompanied by critical self-evaluations and concerns regarding external evaluations. I admit, this is one of those asking for a friend episodes. And my guest is Nicole Baker, who is a coach who helps high achievers ditch perfectionism and the host of the top 2.5% globally ranked podcast, Imperfect Success. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you for having me. That was a great intro. Good description of perfection. I love that. Ooh. Oh, okay. Right away. I love that. So now I feel validated for my research, <laughs> you know, asking for that friend. Okay. I want to know how did you become, you know, the perfection person? So I, I had a very unicorn style upbringing is the best way I can put it. I grew up in a family that was heavily immersed in the personal development world, but I like to say the personal development world of like the eighties and nineties. So it was very all or nothing. It was very hustle culture. It was very go after your goals at no cost. And that was wonderful. I definitely took a lot of nice things from it. Like both my parents worked for Tony Robbins for many, many years. So I did like the firewalks. I'd attended the seminars and it was awesome. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of great stuff from it. But when I got to um, like grade school, like kind of elementary style school, I started getting really, really bullied, like to the point where I was stuffed in bathrooms. I was beat up. I was called names that I will literally never call another human soul on this planet. And it got to the point where finally I was stuffed into a bathroom one day, I like locked the door to make sure they couldn't get in. I was like panicking and something in me snapped where it was. If you are not what everyone else needs you to be, if you're not shy, quiet, um, you know, like perfect, basically, if you're not perfect for everyone else, you're going to continue getting hurt. And that one decision changed the next 10 years of my life. Now, when I was a little bit older, I started realizing how much I loved theater and acting and performing because that was the way I could be big. I could be, you know, loud. I could really express my voice but it was behind a character. So it was, it was safe, right? It wasn't me. And I ended up the little high achiever in me definitely still lived. So I ended up going to a really, really, really popular musical theater college in, um, in here in the United States. And my perfectionism hit a point though, where it was so bad. I was getting like daily panic attacks. Mm. I was so overwhelmed by all the practice I knew I needed to do. And yet I didn't know how to do. And so I would pour, procrastinate on it. I'd put it off and it was just a hot mess express. And finally, my, my professor sat me down and he was basically like, look, you need to perform a miracle or you are not graduating from this college. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. It was like one of those moments where it's like the next decision that I make is going to change the course of my life. But I thought it was going to change the course of my life. Am I going to go to Broadway or am I not? It turns out I called my dad, who's uh, the OG life coach in the family. And I asked him, I was like, look, I need you to coach me. I need you to coach me 
now because I've learned all this stuff since I was, you know, two, three years old climbing poles when like I was like a two-year-old, like climbing this 50-foot pole, but I've never implemented the teachings that I learned from this personal development upbringing. And so he coached me like crazy for six months to a year. I can't remember the exact timeline, but long story short, not only did I end up graduating, but I had this moment where I was like, I want to do this. Like, I want to make people feel this good. And it made me realize how much what we say in our brain affects how much it affects how we show up, especially in the audition room, especially on camera, especially, you know, on, on stage, at least in my, in my opinion, or at least in my situation. And so for a while I was coaching performers, but then I realized every performer I coached was a perfectionist. And I was like, Ooh, this is the mindset I really love. I love tackling this mindset with people. And so I switched to perfectionism and here I am five years later, I've coached thousands of perfectionists. Now, like you mentioned, I have a podcast on perfectionism and overcoming it. And it, it has completely, that one decision changed the course of my life, but it was not for the reason to get it Broadway. It was for the reason to help people with that similar mindset. Wow. I'm actually all the way back in the beginning of your story. And I just want to hug you through the camera because, um, that that's horrible and heartbreaking. I mean, you're here because of the sum total of your life, but that just, that just hurts me in my solar plexus and my heart. When I hear that, you know, what amazes me though, is a lot of us, especially like on the, on the more performing side, because we were such big kids, like, and I mean, big, like we had the big energy. We had just like so much energy to like get out into the world. I've met a lot of people who were also bullied, who are now performers, actors to some level or creators to some level. And so I think that's so interesting that it almost does this 360 full circle. Now I will say like, there are still some days where I feel like my little inner child bully kid. Like there are some days where a troll on the internet says something mean on a a video that I had. And, you know, I cry to my husband for a minute and then I come back even stronger, but like that, that person never really goes away. It's just knowing now I have the tools to comfort her and to say, Hey, what you're feeling and what you experienced, it was valid. It was heartbreaking. It's not something to just brush under the rug and look at who you are now and inspiring others. And that's the story I tell myself to like, get myself back in the zone. Oh, I appreciate that so much because not only, you know, am I asking these questions for myself, but also, you know, for my audience, this comes up across the board and for the people that I work with who are, you know, hosts and presenters, also thought leaders, business executives. One of the things is because there's a performative aspect, obviously, and you're putting yourself out there, but you're not hiding behind a character. And that adds a whole other level of vulnerability because, right, it's not only did you maybe think that you didn't do a good job, but the audience rejected you. Not not your interpretation of the character or your performance, but, but you. So that, that's a big part of it. Gosh, I have so many questions going through my head. I'm sort of jumping around and I'm thinking about like, you know, the the cousin of perfectionism is shame. And then the other thing that I'm so passionate about is the shoulds, which are tied in all all over the place. So one though, if you could distill it down, what were the one, two or three top things that your dad, you know, helped you see or understand? Oh God, I've never been asked this question before. That's a really good question. Um, I'd say number one is 
you do not have to plop down at hundred percent. Here's what I mean. I was constantly striving for perfection. I was constantly striving for the end goal. I wanted to be the best in my year. I wanted to be the most marvelous singer. I wanted to be an amazing actor. I wanted to be the best full stop. But in order to be the best, you have to take the steps one through 99 to get to 100. And I was just trying to plop down at 100. So he helped me look at steps one through 99 and take those steps incrementally, 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 I can't think of the word. Incrementally. Thank you. It's very rare that I can um, pop in with that. So let me, you know, let me help. My my vernacular is totally not the window. I totally Um, hear what you're saying, but that, okay. So that's a huge one. That's a that's, separate even conversation that comes up all the time in my coaching too, is the idea of uh, it's, you have to play the long game. Yes. There are no shortcuts. Well, and I think that the intimidation of trying to get to that end result as fast as possible causes a lot of procrastination, especially procrastination mm. on submitting for an audition or procrastination on, um, you know, going to that network networking meeting, or I see, I see so many people, especially my performer clients, um, not want to join, um, uh, classes like where they get seen by agents or something like that. Cause they're not quote unquote perfect yet, or cause they don't have the right headshot or cause so on and so forth. So they don't Can have I jump in right there. Please, this absolutely. My, I, this is one of my favorite conversations all the time. And I so appreciate your dad. I hope that I sidebar can meet him, but, um, he's the best. <laughs> it is okay. Right. So you have this idea in your head. I want to be the perfect. Mm-hmm. Did you even have any sense of defining what that is because it's one thing it's like you could have a metric right like to be number one in your class and just to you know time stamp our recording it's like the you know u.s open just happened over the weekend it's like you know novak Djokovic, you know regains his ranking as number one that's an actual metric right but for most of the things i teach us all the time it's like there is no perfect giving a ted talk there is no perfect because it's it's indefinable so that's where you have to go back to which we're going to segue, in, but not yet, but into the name of your podcast, which I just love is because you have to define success and success by its nature is imperfect. Yes. So I ask this question to anyone who comes into my space pretty often because they say, I want to achieve my goals. I want to be healthy. I want to um, start my own business. I want to da, 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 da. And I'm like, that is a very vague goal. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, what does be healthy mean to you? Does it mean exactly. go on a walk every day? Cause that's tangible. We can do that. Does it mean eat absolutely 100% perfect has all the, you know, TikTok influencers tell you to, and also drink a gallon of water a day and also do 75 hard and also da, 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 da. like people tend to either have actually, no, I'm going to actually rephrase. People have so many goals that they're working towards, but all those goals are vague. And because they're vague, they're not making progress in any of them, or at least progress that is tangible to see. And so they're telling themselves, why can't I work harder? Why can I not push myself harder? Why am I such a failure? And when I think of perfectionism, I always think you're looking at lack far more than you're looking at what you currently have. But for a lot of, you know, high achiever types, which tend to be a lot of us, you know, we gun for like to be the best in the room. We, we try to, you know, be the best in our class or get that top, um, top like performing slot. Like, because of that reason, you're constantly saying, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough in your head. You're, you're drilling in that belief. And sometimes it takes us a while to realize how deeply we believe we are not enough because we're constantly looking forward, constantly looking forward. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, Barbara. Um, have you ever achieved, (laughs) (laughs) have you ever like achieved a goal and you celebrated yourself for maybe two minutes 
and immediately were like, oh, but I haven't reached that next goal yet. So I need to do that. And then I can be happy, successful, whatever it is. Okay. It's so timely you ask that because I'm actually working on a blog post and a video about the exact same topic. So yes, of course I have, but I also have two clients that I want to give shout outs to. I won't name them because they might not want me to, but because it's that it's exactly what you're talking about. One is a young woman who achieved her goal of, you know, transitioning. She's actually on camera getting paid as a woman in sports as a reporter, right? But she's not where she knows she can be and she wants to be. Mm -hmm. But when I started working with her, I was like, wait, what? Like you, you did it. You like, you're in it. Do you know how like statistically hard and rare that is? It's like, let's just like do a happy dance right now. And I have another client, the same thing, transitioning. He's successfully training. He's contributing to morning shows in New York, the number one market in the U S and extremely competitive. You know, six months ago, he was working in the nonprofit sector. I was like, you're doing it. That's so huge. And all of that to be able to celebrate completely shifts your energy to your point, right? Is to get away from the lack and to be able to go, wow, I have all of this and now I want to add to it. So here's my theory. And I have tested this quite a lot is as to why we do this. Mm -hmm. Us go, go, go type of people. Mm -hmm. We tend to think if I pause, feel proud of myself, feel good about where I've gone, gotten, you know, actually take a moment to feel really like congratulatory of my own self, proud of myself. You like, I am enough. I'll be complacent. I'll lose my drive. I won't have that fire under my butt that I've gotten my entire life that I've built in an identity around. And what I see so often is because people are constantly like hating themselves to the next level, they're so afraid of enjoying the life that they're working so hard for because they think they're going to lose their drive and become complacent and or mediocre. What's yeah, your thoughts? I've, I've absolutely seen that because it's yeah. because one it takes a lot of energy to get into momentum. And mm. so the fear that if I slow down, I won't be able to have the energy to get back up. The other thing too, is it's I've learned in really opening and being, um, having a more diverse point of view is, you know, I work with a lot of um, clients who are, you know, first generation come from immigrants. And so that that's a really strong work, work ethic drive, um, you know, may come from a loving home, but there, there is no resting Yeah, because, you know, their economic demands, there are so many hopes of your family pinned on you. And um, so that causes tremendous amount of drive. So that's its own thing to become really, really sensitive to and balancing. There's also culturally work with, I have a lot of clients around the world. And so depending on where you're coming from, that sense of self-congratulation, it's just not in your culture at all. Yeah. And it's interesting when I work with uh, companies that are multinational and how, you know, if it's an American CEO, who's like, yes, you go, you know, and you have clients in other continents who are aspiring, but just like, it's so not part of their cultural makeup to be like that big and loud and like, yay me. So we talk about how to, you know, work in the, the dial of that. And then, uh, so that's a big thing. And then I also want to think about another part of this is the motivation factor, because I have worked and I've learned so much from working with elite athletes as they transitioned, you know, from, uh, professional careers into broadcast. Nice. 
learned so much about mindset and training and ritual. Just it's so enriched my life. But now we get into a balance thing. I mean, if you're getting to the point where you're winning medals and, you know, big giant rings for championships, uh, there's a perfection drive that got you really, 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 really far. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that people are so afraid to let go of that drive. They're so afraid to envision a life without it because, again, they've equated all of their success and a lot of high achievers, our success is our worth something I'm working on personally, but like our successes are worth. And if my worth is tied up in hustling and I suddenly am like, Oh, I'm going to take my foot off the gas. Suddenly my self-worth goes out the window. How terrifying. So it makes sense also. And I'm a big neurological person. I like to know the Mm. neuroscience behind me, how we work. So neurologically speaking, way, 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 way back when, when we were living in caves, tribes, all that kind of stuff, our comfort zone was the campsite. It was the tribe. It was where the food was, where the people were. And if we went outside of our comfort zone, it was literally the alarm bells of you could die. You could face off with a saber tooth tiger. You can trip and fall and break your ankle and then you can't get back to the camp. Like we still have that makeup of comfort zone equals good job. You're staying safe. Brain is doing its job at keeping you alive. Check out of comfort zone equals I could die. Now us high achiever hustler types, we have found so much comfort in slamming the foot on the gas. When we think about slowing down, the alarm bells of this is out of my comfort zone, you could die, go off. So people often, they're like, oh my God, I don't know why I can't just rest. Or I don't know why I can't just slow down. I don't know why I can't just enjoy my life. Da, 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 da. And it's like, it's because your brain is literally saying, this could kill you. Don't do it. Like there's a neurological reason why we are programmed to stay in our comfort zone. And for us, our comfort zone is go, 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 go. Next thing, next thing, next thing. So I like to cut people some slack. Like it is nothing wrong with you. It's not that you can't personal development, right? It's your brain doing exactly what your brain is programmed to do. Mm, I love that. And I see that around the world. There are so many reasons not to step out of your comfort zone and how the rest of the tribe is going to react. Two things popped up though, as you're talking, just dawning on me is that how almost uniquely American hustle culture is. Everything's defined by this nebulous idea of monetary success and the status that comes with that. So that's really interesting to me. And then the obvious thing that we see all around us is that the go, go, go allows us not to deal with ourselves. Ooh, (laughs) spicy topic. I love it. I'll address the first one first, because yes, it is very American. Like if you go to Europe and you talk to them about our work ethic here, they're like, are you okay? Like we take off August. Like, what are you talking about? And I, I heard, oh my gosh, where was it? it actually might've been in Emily in Paris, which I oh, love yeah. that TV show. No, it's, it is. You, they can't work on the weekend. They can't work on the weekend. <laughs> like it, it, I think they say like, you live to work, we work to live. Right. And I was like, oh my God, I love that. So yes, it is a very American driven thing. And I think that we've uh, glorified it to a point where now it's like, I don't know if you you do this. Like I, I used to, whenever I talk to someone, they'd be like, hey, how are you doing? And I'd respond, Oh my God, I'm so busy. And it's like, I complained major air quotes, but it was like, I wasn't complaining. I was just petting my ego saying, "Mm, good job. You're busy. You're important. Now, whenever someone asks me like, Hey, how are you doing? I'm really honest about it. I strive not to be busy in my calendar. That is a personal choice that I make 
every single day. I say this as literally last week, my sister and I decided to start a second podcast. So that <laughs> is kind of, I'm not doing so hot in that right now, but it's going well. So I'll take it. Um, but to address your second point, because it is so comfortable to go, go, go and slow, slow, slow means I have to talk to the person that's in my head that I've been shoving down for X amount of years. Yeah. It's going to be real uncomfortable because there's going to be some thoughts that come up that you're like, Oh God, I thought, it, I thought it quieted you. And then we know, Oh, if I work or if I constantly have a podcast in, if I constantly am listening to something or, you know, working on something, then I don't have to listen to this person. Great but we lose ourselves quite literally lose ourselves. So when people slow down, there's like this kind of really ugly section where it's like, Oh my God, this sucks. Why would I do this? And it's like, yeah, all the demons that like all the Pandora's box that you've been shoving that lid down have suddenly exploded. That's okay. That's normal. I'd really recommend walking through that with someone, whether it's a therapist, a coach, depending on where you are in your journey. But that's normal. That's part of this. But the other side, it's pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie where you don't feel like, oh my God, how am I? I'm so mean to myself where you actually look in the mirror and you say, wow, I really like this person staring back at me. That is work that I feel like is very underrated, especially in our society here in America. Oh, amen to that. Cause again, so you're talking about that. It's like talking about performers, but also I work with a lot of founders and startups. And it's the same thing. It's like, you have to be good with yourself because it's going to be a long bumpy yeah. road um, to get, you know, to where you're definitely going. But this is a great segue to go back to your dad and that conversation. So we got the first point was to not skip the, you know, steps one through 99. Because I want to yes. get for people to have these takeaways who are probably, you know, listening, nodding their head going, yes, this is me. I get it. So that's step one step. What was takeaway number two? Takeaway number two is that our physicality literally changes our mind. And here's what I mean by that. Mm. When do, do this with me, Barbara, when yeah. you are in a real, can I curse on this podcast? Yes, you may. Well, when you're in a <laughs> shit state, I'm talking, you are beating yourself up. You are saying things you would never say to a friend or a person or a living, breathing organism on this planet. What does your body do? My body tenses. Yep. Where, where tenses? Mm. I tend to feel neck and shoulders, but I also get some, I mean, it depends because I think about this a lot it, and it actually depends on the situation, but also tightening in the, you know, like literally like the, you know, around my heart, my chest. And then now more also when I mean to myself, I feel it in my solar plexus because that's where we hold our self-esteem. Yes. Um, but that, you know, took deeper work to start to understand my chakras and where I'm experiencing. Yeah different sensations, but I'm glad that you asked this. We're going to, I didn't mean to interrupt your exercise, but it is something that's so powerful. Once you learn to um, become aware of what the signs of what you're feeling in your body, when things are negative, like I'm in a situation or I'm nervous going into that audition or nervous before I'm about to go do my hit on CNBC or whatever that is. But similarly, it's also really important to take time to notice and remember how, when you were in a, a flow state, what did it feel yes. like in your body when things are awesome? Because then we do lots of exercises so that we can, you know, call that up, which is by the way, something I learned from working with athletes, because that's what I, well, they do all the time. Exactly. So one of the reasons I asked this question is because when we're in a shit state, mm-hmm. technical term, we <laughs> lock up, like our whole body yeah. locks up. We tend to get really small when yeah. we're beating ourselves up, when we're like, you know, crying and having a really bad day, we tend to like literally get almost in a, um, 
uh, sitting or standing, depending on what you're doing version of the fetal position. We also stop breathing, which then takes way less oxygen to our brain, which means we're not thinking as clearly. We're much more tunnel visioned and focused on one thing, which tends to be, I'm not enough. Things suck. I'm not working hard enough. So on and so forth. And as a result, all of these things happen and our mind tends to focus on really negative things. It tends to use really negative language as a result. It literally starts in our body and then our mind follows and tumbles down the hill. Now, when we're in a really good state, like I just crushed that audition. I just went on, I mean, this is, this is my day right now. I launched a new podcast this morning with my sister. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. it. It's called Fantasy Fangirls. It's about fantasy books. And we're right now covering Fourth Wing, if you've read that, um, which is a huge book on TikTok at this moment. Or excuse me, uh, book talk. But we were, we had very low expectations for this. Like we were like, mate, if we get 20 downloads in the first week, we'll be so happy. We ended up going mega viral this weekend. And we have not only surpassed 20, we're now almost to 400 downloads on day one, which is crazy. Um, but we're getting people emailing us, telling us theories, like all like we're, we've built this community out of nowhere and we're like, whoa. And so I've noticed I've been walking around with my shoulders back today. Mm. I've been breathing really nice, low, slow, deep breaths. I've been taking up more space. Remember I said the fetal position when we feel like shit, we take up more space. So one of the things that, um, when we're in a good, when we're in a good state, one of the things I have my clients do when we're doing like a limiting belief exercise, or we're really trying to tap into a good mindset before they are doing something big for their goals. I will literally have them do something that I call Patrick star. And it's like, like your body is a starfish, putting your arms out, putting your head up to the sky, taking a deep breath and just feeling the, like the, I'm going to call it the heavens, but like the sky, the universe, whatever you want to call it on your face, like as if it is looking down on you. And by doing so as taking up that space, feeling that out of like out of our body presence, it makes people suddenly talk to themselves in a very different way. They suddenly start to get more hopeful. They suddenly start to focus on things working out versus not working out. They suddenly don't give a shit if they're perfect. They suddenly are like, oh my God, look at me now. Like, look at how good I'm doing. They feel more confident. They feel more gutsy. They feel more ballsy to go after their goals and get out of their comfort zone. It is as simple as doing something I literally call Patrick Star from SpongeBob SquarePants. Like it is truly as simple as that. So my dad taught me that. So whenever I was in the practice rooms, which were just like these terrible, terrible rooms in the basement of our school um, that were all soundproof, except for this. And they had this one little window and it was just like this like eight by eight room. It was hell. Those were dungeons in my mind. (laughs) I hated them. Wait, 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 wait. We we can pause to talk about, I just want to... That, how serious that is because a jail cell is designed that that space to terrify and so when you yes. think about a rehearsal space was created using the same design concept and they were all really like bo- lined they were yeah. it was like rows and rows of rows of same like i mean they were like 50 practice rooms just like boom 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 boom, boom. um that's and, why our environments matter, which is an important part of this exactly. conversation too, because it's the sensory side that while we're having beautiful conversations with ourselves and the transformational work, what we see around us yes. and, and what we experience in a sense really does matter. So well, I'm sorry, carry no, on. No, 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 please. <laughs> I, I love that you added that. And like, that was one of the reasons why whenever I would go down to the practice rooms, I'd spend the first five minutes on the phone with my dad and he would walk me through an exercise of taking up more space, quite literally. Oh, that's beautiful. That. I loved it. And he, had, he eventually got to the point where I was able to do it on my own and walk myself through it. But 
it was, I realized before that I would go down and get into panic attacks. And after that, like after starting to work with him and doing enough conditioning where it was like rooted in my brain, but I started realizing, oh, I'm going down here feeling excited. I'm going down here wanting to try something new out with this song mm. that, you know, maybe previously I was too afraid to try even in a soundproof practice room where it's only me hearing. So that was number two. That was huge. And it's still something I do regularly for myself and my clients to this day. And number three is remembering over and over and over and over and over again, the past does not equal the present unless you live there. I was getting so hung up in my head about well, this is how I've been. I've been having daily panic attacks. I've been, you know, drinking myself to blackout every single weekend because I didn't know how to deal with my emotions and I just needed to numb myself out. I've been, you know, screwing up auditions. I've been, you know, having, you know, like this like PTSD take over my body in the practice rooms. Like, and I didn't see another way that life could be. So this one's really twofold. Your, your life so far is your life so far but you can change. Like we are, we are literally wired to change. There's something in our brain called neuroplasticity. It literally means our brain is Play-Doh. It can change. It can shift. It's the reason why we didn't pop out of the womb knowing how to drive. And now we can drive to, you know, point A to point B and then get in the parking lot and then realize, oh my God, did I just drive that car? I don't remember a second of that entire like time on the road. Like it is the reason we learn and adapt and create new habits and, you know, can learn new skills is neuroplasticity. And yet so often, if we're in a slump, we feel like there's no way out. I like to remind people of this. There is always a way out. You have in some point in your life made a 90 degree turn. And it's good to remind yourself that that is possible. The second thing here is knowing where that 90 degree turn is going. It doesn't need to be this like super crystal clear vision that you like spend, you know, 20 minutes on a mountaintop every single morning visualizing. It doesn't need to be that drastic. A 90 second closing your eyes and just feeling the feeling of change is wildly important. I'm not a big woo-woo person. I love my science. I love my left brain thinkers here, but I do believe that your energy does attract things that are the same energy. There's a lot of science behind it to the point where I'm like, okay, fine. I'll buy it. Whatever. <laughs> I get it. Well, now, well, now the science is there. I mean, just as you're talking, you know, the true, the OG of this too is Shad Helmstetter and his book yep. is one of my, you know, it's never more than a few feet from where I sit, which, you know, how to, uh, what to say when you talk to yourself and to everything you're saying, you know, when he started, he was mocked, right? Because people just thought he was like super woo woo. Um, yep. And now because of brain scans and technology, it, we've, all of the energy attraction, but also to his belief, which has been proven that you can create positive neural pathways where yeah. they were once negative. I just meant through our talk as you create negative pathways or positive pathways. And that is part of the principles of neuroplasticity. But the other deep thing in there that if I may ask you this question that started to come up and it may have not been your case, but it does come up a lot is when it goes back to what you're saying about the actual choice you're making every day, whether it's, you know, I'm going to continue just to do what I've always been doing. Cause it's, even if you're not aware that you're making a choice, you are making a choice. Did you really want it? Right. Oh, you're asking me questions. I've never been asked before. I love this. Did I really want it? You know, it's funny. My gut instinct is like, oh, like, but my first thought was like, yeah, of course I wanted it. But even before I started coaching with my dad, there was always this little voice in my head that said, you can coach performers, but you have to be on Broadway first. 
So for me, it was almost a stepping stone. It was, I always wanted to coach performers. I always wanted to coach people. And now it's, it's funny because it's the performer mindset. Basically, it's just in a lot of different people, but I always wanted to coach performers, but the perfectionist in me said, well, you can't do that unless you're taken seriously. So you need to be on Broadway first. And did I really want it? I think I was afraid of wanting it. Mm. And I also think I didn't want to go to New York. Mm -hmm. So I actually ended up going to Chicago after graduation and doing the actor thing there. Nothing is worse. I'm sorry, New Yorkers. One second. Nothing is worse than standing outside for an EPA at four in the morning in a Chicago March. I will say it. I'll get flack for it. I don't care. Nothing's worse than that. It was terrible. I hated it. Wait, <laughs> but, walk us through. So what's an EPA? And, oh, so um, EPA, um, uh, equity principal audition. So it's basically like I was going in for a um, equity contract, but I wasn't equity. So I had to wait in line for golly. Sometimes it was 10 hours. Sometimes it was 12 hours. Sometimes I didn't even get seen. Sometimes it was two hours. It didn't, it just totally depended on the day, but that means I was standing outside of the equity building in Chicago, uh, which is where all the major auditions were held. And I was always the first one there because I wanted to be first on the list. So I, I'd have my best chances of getting seen. So I'd be there at four in the morning with my Starbucks coffee in one hand, my down parka, my four layers of pants, my two gloves, my like six sweaters and like two scarves. And I'd be standing outside in the dark, in the cold until someone finally unlocked the door at 9 a.m. So that was the longest four hours of my life. And I did that regularly for over a year, over a year. Yeah. About a year in Chicago. And I was a waitress. I was also working at a tech company and then I was cleaning yoga studios at the time as well. So I was like, it was, it was a wild, wild time. Um, but it wasn't long after that year that I was like, I want to do this coaching thing. I want to go full in here and see what happens. And thank God I did. Cause that was when I started to fully come alive. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. Oh, good for you. And also so young to be able to tap into that because the other thing I'm hearing and we all have it. And I, it's, I spent way too long in this that um, I had the belief that you have to suffer. Yeah. You, re, re, you know what I mean? And also because it's like you had terrible conditioning as a kid when you're getting bullied. So everything is taught to you that like whatever you want is going to require literally suffering in the physical side of, you know, sleep deprivation, freezing temperatures, total discomfort, standing for hours, right? Do you know what I mean? Like we buy into I do. this idea. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm loving this so much. And I'm like, damn, is like, is this a therapy session? I mean, not in the best way. I'm like, wow. Like she just saw through my soul. Oh my gosh. That was amazing. Oh. I love that. But oh, yeah, I no, feel and I, it with you so much. I remember, well, in, I, I mean, New York is so obnoxious too, that it's like, we had a brutal real estate closing once. And when, as soon as I got to the car, I literally sat and spoke to the universe and I said, I get it. I get it nothing has to be this hard. I didn't have to work this hard for my, I didn't have to suffer for this house. Yeah. But I think that there's some <laughs> like element. And I think that this is again, a very American thing. Like yes. if I suffer and I overcome, then I can feel proud or then I can feel good about myself or then I can have my ego, like, you know, get a pet. Wait, you know where this else shows up is like, even in this sort of like, um, velvet rope mentality. Like when you watch people lining up to get into a nightclub and we're conditioned to think like it wasn't worth it unless I had to somehow, you know, be better than everybody else who couldn't get in or something. And I, so my personality doesn't subscribe to that yep. mindset. 
I'm, I'm overcoming sub- subscribing to that mindset. Cause that's also a very perfectionist thing to do yes. is like, unless I did 150%, I burned out, I gave it my all, unless that happened, I can't celebrate myself or unless that happened, I can't feel good. Or I can't, you know, like cut myself some fucking slack. Like I see this time and time and time again. And it's something that I really, really was big into for the longest time, especially when I was a performer. But now, like I said earlier, like I am actively making it so that I, I'm set up for the best way that I can't do that to myself. Like Mm -hmm. I, like, obviously I train it in my mind, but I also train it in my schedule. I practice that in a tangible sense too. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you have to do both. It's not just the mindset training. What's the check-in that you do with yourself? Every week, every Monday morning, I have a 30 minute, actually, no, it's not 30. It's 15 minutes now. I have a 15 minute date with myself Mm. where basically I say, okay, let me look through my entire week. What is my goal for the week? Is it like, I always think about what's my 100 goal. Like my, I call this my Everest goal. What's the goal I'm working towards in the greater good right now? You know, whether it's a three month or a one year goal, what is that goal in this time? Then what is the one level one version of it, or I call this a milestone goal. This is typically a week long goal for me, something I can accomplish in a week, maybe two weeks, but I like to keep it at a week. So that Monday morning date is I come up with my milestone goal, that tiny, tiny goal. And then give us an example of what a milestone goal for you would be. Sure. So like, for instance, um, (laughs) so for instance, I just did a workshop a few weeks ago. And one of my, my big Everest goal was complete this workshop, have a blast, do a, do a good job. And as a result, my milestone goal for the week of the workshop was finish slides. That was it. Finish slides for the workshop. And so that in itself is still several tasks that need to happen. I needed to outline the slides. I needed to finalize them. I needed to practice and do a run through with them. That's three things within that one milestone goal. Now I look at my schedule and I say, okay, great. Where am I going to plug in these three, what I call one sitting tasks. So tasks I can do in one sitting or less. Now to answer your question, how the hell does this work out so that I'm not as busy? It sounds like you're adding a bunch of shit to your schedule, Nicole. I don't get it. But what I do is I set up my schedule so that each of my days has a purpose. My Mondays are my CEO days. Those are my days I work on projects. That is when I outlined and plugged in the out the um, slides for this workshop. My Tuesdays are my coaching days. I don't do any work on those days unless it's a super light day for whatever reason. Wednesdays are my podcasting days. I don't do coaching work. I don't do CEO work. Those are just for podcasting. Thursdays are also coaching. And then Fridays are overflow. So for that week, for instance, I didn't really have anything on Friday. Now my Fridays have been taken over by this other podcast I'm doing. So that's kind of a podcasting day now too. But that's how I do my schedule so that I make sure I'm A, not taking on too much. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very careful to make sure I have one Everest goal and one milestone goal every week. If I have more, I know I'm doing something wrong and I'm either people pleasing or I'm trying to be in the busy game. So I have that hard and fast rule with myself. And then by having what I call day theming. So, you know, how Tuesday's coaching day, Wednesday's my podcasting day by having that day theming, I know exactly what level of energy I need to bring to the day. So today's Monday, typically this is my CEO day. We ended up scheduling a podcast for this day, which is totally fine. But I normally on Mondays, I have my hair up in a bun. I have no makeup on. I'm in maybe a sweatshirt and some Nike shorts and I'm at this computer. I have my 
Blu-ray or blue um, blocker glasses on and I'm in troll mode. I'm just in creative mode. I'm, I'm not speaking to anyone typically, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays I'm coaching. I know I need to give my all those days. So I do a bigger workout in the morning. I have a little bit more time to get ready because I'm going to do my makeup and do my hair. So just by doing that, I know what the energy output is for the day. And by doing that, I'm able to actually shorten my days by at least two hours because I'm not trying to grasp at all the straws that are supposed to be on days that are not the days that I'm working on typically. Does that make sense? Oh my God. A thousand percent sense. And what I'm loving here too is the, um, well, one, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause that's yeah. like incredible, tangible takeaway detail for people, but two, so when, you know, Barring from Marie Forleo's, you know, if it's not scheduled, it's not real. But two, what happens is now when it's on your schedule and you can see it, I found that that helped me start to say no. Yes, same. Because I'm not going to double book myself. Because if I see on Wednesday, I'm doing a two-hour podcast recording for my own show. I'm then working on an outline for my new show. And then I'm doing a recording for Tim Bob's show or whatever. If I say anything else, I'm I'm saying nothing to no one else on on Wednesday and probably even my Thursday morning is going to be light because that's a lot of stuff back to back to back for me. So I also know that I'm someone who can get really drained really quickly if I work more than seven hours a day. Like, because what I do, and I'm sure you're very similar and I'm honestly sure everyone listening is very similar. What we have to do is not like a desk job where it's like you're mindlessly writing emails or you're mindlessly working on a project. It requires our entire focus. It requires us to be in flow state, which is awesome. Love flow state, love flow state. But flow state does drain our glucose storage of our brain, which is our energy storage way faster than those mindless autopilot tasks. So because of that, I know that by the end of the day, yeah, maybe I didn't work a full eight hour workday or a nine hour workday like a CEO would, but I know that those seven hours, five hours, six hours that I did work, I was so in the zone. So some ways that I get in the zone and I recommend this for everyone. I, I study a lot of productivity. It's like one of my like like oh. guilty pleasure topic. I'm with, I'm with you there, sis. Love it. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, everyone listening, start putting the do not disturb function on your phone and on your computer and on your watch. Like that function alone has saved me hours of multitasking, of mindless things, of getting distracted. Like for instance, if you're in flow state and you even see an email come across the top of your screen, you don't even open said email. You just see the email has come in it takes you on average 23 and a half minutes to get back into flow state. And we do not have that kind of patience anymore. We'll say, oh man, I was really feeling it, but I'm not in the mood anymore. So I'll do this tomorrow. And then we procrastinate and then we beat ourselves up about it. Can we just talk about how impressed I am with your seven hour workday? Because <laughs> no, but this is awesome because it gets into the notion of being more productive, but being less fatigued. It's how I fell in love with the Pomodoro method, which is a, yeah. a version of what you're talking about. But um Favorite. And uh, yeah, because as a working mom, I, I wrote my first book in 30 minutes a day because I pomodoro it and it, it was a total game changer. But that's not why I was bringing this up. It's just to remind anyone who's a solopreneur or doing another thing or side hustle or whatever it is, is most, I don't know what the data is, but we know that most people who, who no longer go to an office, but whatever it is, when you're working for a large corporation, the data on how unproductive most people's days are, I mean, you are clocking in 
for X, however many, like eight hours, 10 hours, whatever that is. But the actual productivity is very small compared to it's four hours. Okay, four so hours. I is knew Nicole max. Baker would actually mm -hmm. have that, that statistic. <laughs> it's on Thank average so three much. to four hours is our like, I was going to guess three and a half. And I was going to say, and so when you're just what you've described, Nicole, is the secret to getting more done in less time. And I love that you brought up the Pomodoro technique or the 80-20 rule for anyone's heard of that. Like it basically is just looking at, and this is something I see all of my procrastinating perfectionists do all the time. They're looking at all the things that they should do. And I know you love that word just as much all as I do. Should. Shoulds, all about the shoulds. So all the things they should do, and they're overwhelmed by all the things they should do. And by being overwhelmed by all the things they should do, they end up starting to either like work like crazy to get all those things done, but then they finish them and they're like, man, I don't feel like I did anything. It's because all those things didn't fucking matter. I see this in a lot of people starting businesses. I'm like, okay, like what's the first milestone goal if we're using that similar mindset? Like if let's say, you know, the Everest goal is launch business, the first every single fucking time, the first milestone goal is, well, I need to start a social media account. And I'm like, wrong. <laughs> nope. Like, absolutely not. That is not the first task. That is the safe task. That's the easy task. That's the known task. What if the first milestone goal was get one client? What if the first milestone goal was reach out to your network and ask if anyone needs your services? And they're like, oh my God, I can't do that. But that is the thing that is going to get you closer to your Everest goal. So the way I look at it in the 80-20 rule is there are 80% tasks, aka the bigger category of tasks, there's 80 of them, and they don't move you forward. If they do, it's like, like just the tiniest move forward. So posting on social media, um, at least at the beginning, there's a time and a place for social media. I'm not negating it, but um, like posting on social media is an 80% task. Um <laughs> What's oh, another one? Uh, working on your website when you're first starting and you don't even have a you know mission statement or a business plan. That's another one. Like doing the things that are just busy work versus the twenty percent are always scary. They're always out of your comfort zone. They always involve some level of fear of rejection, but they are the things that launch you towards that Everest goal. But a lot of people let their their comfort zone keep them in the eighty percent tasks. They stay busy. They're like, oh my god, I feel like I'm a chicken with my head cut off. I don't know why I'm running around like crazy. I don't feel like anything is getting done. I'm not getting to my goal. Why am I not making any progress? I suck. And it's like, no, you're just doing the busy shit that doesn't matter. Stop doing the busy shit that doesn't matter. Oh. I get such on a high horse about this. <laughs> oh, Nicole, you, I love, I adore you and your high horse. This is yeah. so good. I just have to end it here because otherwise I'm going to keep you all day. This is incredible. You're definitely coming back. I am so glad that we connected and, and we met and I'm obsessed with your dad. Haven't met your mom either, but they She's sound great fabulous. Too. I love her. Yeah, yeah I, I just adore you. Thank you so much. Let everyone know where they can find you. So I am, I also have a podcast, I have two podcasts now, but my more professional, uh, my more perfectionism based <laughs> podcast is called Imperfect Success. Like you mentioned earlier, if you're listening to this podcast on a platform, we're probably on there. So check it out. I'm also on Instagram at Life Coach Baker. If you like funny videos about how ridiculous we are about perfectionists, I'm your girl. <laughs> like I got them. And I'm also at lifecoachbaker.com. If anything I said really resonated with you, I offer free 30 minute coaching calls. They are not like no strings attached, nothing. It is not me pitching you for 30 minutes. It is us doing actual coaching for those 30 minutes. And you can find that on my website, which is lifecoachbaker.com. Oh, you're a gift. Thank you. Oh, so glad I met you. 
And I awesome. Thank, I oh, thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in media training or help with career strategies, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com, and be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you.